we stopped at a grocery store and I think we were drinking a carton of orange juice and stress eating a whole bag of potato chips. And uh, this single mother with her kids came up and were like, what the hell are you folks? Why are you here? <laughs> I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I speak with Reed Olson, who is into the hobby of tour cycling. So if you are not familiar, uh, tour cycling is going out on adventures on your bike, like very long distances where uh, you basically everything you have, you you have on your bike, on yourself. So you just have like a sleeping bag, maybe a tent. Um, and Reed has ridden across the entire United States uh like in written that sort of distance several times um, going all over the country. So we'll have a lot of stories from his trips, um, the people that he's met, the types of experiences that he's had and how um, choosing to not have a car. So a lot of his adult life, Reed has chosen not to have a car and we'll talk about how that has impacted his life um, and sort of the, the pros and cons of not having a, a car in society today. At the end, we'll hear a little bit about a project that Reed works with in Seattle called The Bikery, which is a nonprofit that helps people uh, with bike maintenance, repairing their bikes, stuff like that. Uh, very cool project to be helping out with um, and just kind of promoting people riding their bikes around cities. So without further ado, here is Tour Cycling. Reed, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Happy to be talking to you. Yeah, for sure. Why don't we start out with just what is tour cycling? When you first wrote in and mentioned that you were a tour cyclist, um, you immediately followed it up with what tour cycling was, luckily for me, so I got to figure it out. But I would not have known otherwise what tour cycling is. So what is it? Tour cycling is uh, adventure travel by bicycle when you are self-contained. What do you mean when you say self-contained? Self-contained, you are carrying food water clothing shelter okay cool gotcha so it's basically taking your bike from place to place and like camping and stuff like that just using your bike as opposed to using a car to travel around exactly some people call it bike packing depending on where you're going okay cool and so tell us a little bit about your story with tour cycling and the things that you have done which are very awesome ah I I grew up riding my bicycle around town, but never really thought of it in that context of, oh, wow, this is a vehicle I could take anywhere where there are roads. Um, and 2007, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know where, where the idea came to, I guess I was just staring at maps. I was like, I think I want to bike across the country. That sounds fun. And it's super green had, barely knew i hadn't touched anything that resembled a road bike before but i two of my friends jumped on the trip with me and we rode from upstate new york to seattle washington wait 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 wait. so prior to this you hadn't even been on a road so were you like riding every day in new york and stuff or, or like were you like super into the hobby of just regular cycling like around town like what was your I experience would, beforehand i i was very excited about my bicycle i uh yeah grew up 
there were some parks, so I had done some some mountain biking. But my mechanical knowledge at the time, embarking on the adventure, was very low. I had not really stepped into the world. I was I was incredibly green and naive, um, and that's kind of the beauty of tour cycling is you don't have to know a lot. You can just kind of jump right in. Yeah. Um, I I had. You know, my parents took me camping. I was comfortable in the outdoors, I think, and I was comfortable. I had, I was, you know, I, I've led an active lifestyle. Um, you know, often I tell people that when they ask about tour cycling or what what to get into it or what what do they need, it's like, do you know how your body is going to react to stresses? Are you calm? Uh, I think those are sometimes the most important questions to answer before you embark. Right. Are you going to like flip out when, when bad stuff starts happening on the trip? Yeah. How do you do with heat? How do you do with cold? Uh, or yeah. How, how do you manage stress? Um, do you need to be in control all the time? Cause oftentimes you're not. Yeah. So let's, let's dig in a lot to this like first trip that you took from New York to, uh, to Seattle. So, uh, first of all, you mentioned that this happened in 2007. Uh, I happen to know because I graduated college in 2007. So it's like a memorable year for me. That that was the year that the iPhone was first released. So I would imagine that you did not have an iPhone on this trip. So it's not like you can just constantly be uh, GPSing everything. How did you plan the route for your trip? And then how did you stay on that route? AAA maps are, are, are a beautiful thing. They, we, yes, we, we planned the trip fairly methodically up until Chicago. I had an uncle, I have an uncle in Chicago, but yeah, we, uh, we kind of would cross the state line and stop at the nearest gas station and get a AAA roadmap. And I, I love maps. I think they're, and they're very informative. And, and to this day, I, I do, I didn't jump on the, on the smartphone bandwagon until 2014, but wow, that's impressive. And I have. I have since gone on tours with my iPhone and there, it, there certainly are benefits to it. But even to this day, I still appreciate having a, a physical analog map to cross-reference and, yeah. and view. Totally agree. Totally agree. So when you're doing this first trip and actually subsequent trips would be the same way, um, how do you know what roads to travel on? When you're just looking at a map, how do you know what roads to travel on? And what roads are those? Like, what make the good roads for traveling? I've only ever gone state to state in a car before. Um, so I'm traveling on, like, major highways. Uh, are you mm-hmm. taking those same major highways and, like, riding along the very side? Or are you trying to stay on more, like, you know, rural roads and highways the whole way? Ideally, ideally yes, that you want to stay on uh back roads or blue highways as they call them on AAA maps the uh but once you cross as someone traveling westward once you cross the mississippi the uh geography and the infrastructure of this country starts to change dramatically um and oftentimes uh the dot of a state like say arizona um condones and supports people biking on the interstates the highways uh and the shoulders widen and oftentimes in some of those western states that is the only paved route to get from point a to point b because 
the, the population densities. So other than if it was, um, if it was the only route, is that basically, is that basically the only reason that you would take a more major highway is if it was the only route, otherwise you're going to be trying to take more of these back roads. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, now let's talk about time frame. Like how long did it take you to get to Chicago? And then how long did it take you to get from Chicago to Seattle? So that first trip was two months, uh, almost to the, almost to the date. It, let's see. Um, and we were doing about, we we're doing about 60 to 80 miles a day on that trip. I think I, came into chicago sometime in early july the fourth had passed um i think we celebrated the fourth of july in canada because we crossed we crossed um into canada from from new york just above buffalo and then came out back out uh into detroit and that was fun that was like my first seeing detroit i'd never been to Detroit or really that far west before. And it was kind of that, this like Dorothy moment of like, we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. I have made it to new territory. Yeah. Yeah. So in this, in this whole trip going like 60 to 80 miles a day, um, what is, uh, like, what is your, your body like reacting like to that? Like when you have not really done anything like that before? It felt great. Uh, I think the biggest thing was just to keep, to keep fueling yourself. Uh, we didn't know how distance how our bodies would react or how we felt like this, this like pressure to, to cover, to cover the distance and get it done. And there are a few days where I'll, I'll admit this is so not what I am now, but like, we just would stop and be like, why am I so miserable? The term hangry hadn't really entered our vernacular yet, but it's like, <laughs> it's like, we, I, I think we just didn't eat lunch. I think we just kept biking and forgot to eat lunch. Like, wow, that is so dumb. Why did we do that? Um, but I think once we got a rhythm of uh, fueling, fueling our bodies and staying hydrated, um, it felt great. You know, cycling is is so low impact on the body that I think as long as you keep keep the systems nourished, you um, especially at this point, I feel like I can just go forever. Yeah. What about your butt? Like, doesn't your butt get sore? Uh, a good saddle can really take care of that. Um, and I especially that first trip, I I had you know, bike shorts with padding. Um, and I guess if you're, if you're, if your butt's sore, some people definitely do, do feel pain. Um, I guess just take a rest, you know, you have all, especially if you're, if you're touring, you rest with the sun, you have all day. Um, chamois butter, uh, is uh, kind of a lubricant moisturizer that you can put in between your thighs. Um, that will certainly help with uh chafing or as your skin gets used to you know being in the saddle all day yeah but it um i guess i was pretty lucky that the it just came so naturally yeah to me yeah right now on a sort of trip like this are you for the most part not staying in cities then are you always trying to like get out of a city um mm -hmm. into some sort of campground or like state land or something cities uh certainly have to be a little more thought out there is uh detroit another cool thing about our entrance into detroit was is the first time that we used uh this uh cycling network called warm showers 
it's uh, warmshowers.org, I believe. It's a global network of people who have signed up to host cyclists as they travel throughout the country or world. Um, I've been a member of it since 2009. And yeah, we ha- they were great hosts to us. So that was, I was grateful for in Detroit to have that, that, that shelter. Um, and it's since, you know, it's a great way to meet people. Um, but yeah, in cities, uh, I have to be a little more careful about where I decide to lay my head down. Yeah, I bet. So let's talk about that a little bit about just the, the safety of a trip like this in general, if you're just camping, uh, like, you know, throwing your sleeping bag down, uh, from place to place to place to place across the country. I think a lot of people would be uh like reticent to do something like that having no experience doing something like that so do you think that that is one of these things that we get more freaked out in our heads about and then you actually do it it's like oh no like people are good and this is super safe and it's all good or is it a little bit scary sometimes when you're out on the road well especially that first trip there were three of us so i I didn't feel that and i didn't have the uh vernacular of white privilege when when i was biking in 27 in 2007 um so there's that i i will say i think but the bicycle is very disarming and people see it and get excited and and want to help you there i mean i can't in i can't count the moments that people will look at you and be like well what are you doing and then you 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 kind of learn as you're traveling, like to deliver a, a quick sales pitch of like, I am, I am so-and-so I am biking across the country with my friends. Here I am. And oftentimes they're like, Oh, do you, are you thirsty? Can you need a place to sleep? So. Wow. Really? Oh yeah. Uh, I'll never forget. We, <laughs> we had just gone through a deluge. We were, we were wet, damp, sad rats. And, uh, we stopped at a grocery store and I think we were drinking like carton of orange juice and stress eating a whole bag of potato chips and uh this single mother with her kids came up and were like what the hell are you folks why are you here <laughs> uh, del- delivered our pitch and uh all but insisted that we come back to her place we spent the night uh like in one of her kids rooms and she did our laundry uh you know that's 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 some magical stuff right there yeah for sure that's so cool man it's uh it's got to be really nice the the people that you get to meet and sort of the perspective it gives you on humanity uh taking a trip like that and having experiences like that yeah and it feels really good now you know or or the times i have when i'm not touring to be able to host people and have that kind of reciprocal reciprocal road magic you know paint it forward yeah it's um it, it, there, there's this feeling of connection and and, and wholeness that uh, I haven't really had in any other part of my life. Yeah, for sure. That's cool, man. Um, so let's talk about the cost and logistics of doing something like this. So first of all, what would you say the cost is on a daily <clears throat> basis if you were to break it down uh, doing tour cycling like this from state to state? It's one of those things where, uh, you know, the upfront cost of having a bike um and certain gear if you're traveling with a means of cooking or not or do you want to have warm meals i mean i generally once i'm up and running i think try to keep it um you know i guess it can range the great range from anywhere from 10 to 20 dollars 
a day. Maybe, you know, sometimes I, yeah, sometimes I want a diner breakfast and, and that's great. Uh, sometimes I do joke that I like tour cycling just cause I like, you know, to eat at diners <laughs> around the, <laughs> around the country. Yeah. But I'll also, you know, we all tour differently. Uh, I also kind of through tour cycling have, and, um, to this day, enjoy dumpster diving. Um, particularly, you know, bakeries, things that deal with perishable food, uh, breads. Um, so there, there are ways you can really cut your cost down. Yeah, for if, sure. If, if, if you need to, you know, and I, I've, I've done, I've done tours where I feel like I'm Rockefeller and just rolling with cash. And there have been, uh, particularly my buddy in 2014, we biked the Gulf States and then across Texas. And that, that was more of a, man, this is a mental health necessity. I need to get out now. And I left with less money than I should have had, but I think we made up for maybe a third of our calories on that trip with, with reclaimed, reclaimed food. So it can be done. A lot of, a lot of tour cycling or adventuring in general is like what, you know, again, like what are your, what are the, what's the window of comfort that you're willing to subject yourself to? Right, right. Um, so let's talk about the logistics side. What are the things that you absolutely have to have with you? And then what are the things that it's like, this is nice, but optional? What do you absolutely need to have? I, the one thing I tell people to invest in is good tires. It's the one point of contact between you and the road and, and all things, uh, patch kit, inner tubes, some way, a pump. Um, that's, I'm pausing to, to run through, but I think that's it. I think that can kind of be the bare minimum. Like you think that the things you need to keep the bike working enough to get to, from town to town, uh, potentially to another, to another bike shop, you know, after, after that, it's kind of up to you on how, how much mechanical reliance you're going to put on yourself or what, what, what clothing you're going to take depending on the seasons or where you are. Yeah. Would you, uh, bring a tent with you or would you just throw your sleeping bag down and sleep, sleep under the stars? I've done both. Uh, they, uh, we, that first trip we, um, I was, I was taking my parents old tent from, the the uh man i think that tent was from the 70s and it weighed god knows how many pounds but and this is kind of prophetic i guess we were in south dakota and camping behind a truck stop and wound up pitching tent with these two um travelers uh homeless elderly men and they uh one of them was drunk and actually fell through our tent onto and through the tent on top of us. It was, it was a very jarring experience. Uh, and then, and then we just, we, we, we duct taped it up that wall up for the rest of the trip. And, um, I think my parents threw it out <laughs> after seeing it and, and hearing that story. Tents are great. It's, it's a nice option, um, especially with bugs or, but I have, it's again, you don't, you don't need it. Uh, I have definitely covered many miles with just a sleeping bag sleeping bag or a sheet 
So you just bring up an interesting story about uh, like camping with homeless people and stuff. I imagine that that's not an entirely unique experience to this point of just like hanging out, talking with various homeless people on the road, having done this. Um, tell us a little bit about that and about like, I don't know, any sort of maybe change in perspective or um, opening of perspective from meeting and talking with people like that. I think what was so prophetic about that that experience I just told you was we were like going to sleep and one of the gentlemen was like, you guys are going to get it. And we're like, get what? And he's like, you're doing it. Like you're out in the road. And you know, once you come back, real, real life's not going to register the same way that, that, that this experience has for you. Um, and then five minutes later is when like, it's like a uh, fall through the tent. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the the door rips open uh you know i, I think uh, about how i think the translation of the word apocalypse is lifting of the veil so it's like door blew open and it's like yeah this is um another way to think about time or space or life or, or my relationships with myself or other people um and then and then it's like it's like it's like ripping off a band-aid you know um but speaking more directly to your point about like, yeah, you encounter, you encounter a lot of people who live so maybe outside of the, the dominant paradigm. Um, and you, yeah, you, you get to hear a lot, you get to hear a lot of stories and experiences and also kind of check your biases and like the initial, again, it's like, how do you react to situations where maybe you're not in control or you meet someone you don't know and, how do you gauge if that person is means you well or not? And I'm going to say 9.9 times out of 10, uh, it's it's gratitude and wellness. That's awesome. Have you ever had? How you said 9.9 times out of 10? Have you ever had any like <laughs> negative experiences with people on the road? Other than a guy crashing through your tent in the middle of the night? Yeah, though, you know I'm I'm not even going to say that was entirely negative. Uh, it, like looking back, I'm laughing now. Um, I, I remember I just. I was like trying not to laugh. I was like, my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the most negative experiences I've ever had. And so I've been doing this now now for, you know, uh, it's tw- over 10 years uh, that my most negative experiences have been with drivers and, and people who are frustrated with, uh, and this perceived idea that the bikes are on their road or get off, get off the road, go somewhere else. Um, occasionally, you know, I think from town to town depends on where you're traveling. The, the pendulum can swing pretty fast from being a, a pariah to a hero. Um, <laughs> there I did, there was one particular, Oh God, this is, <laughs> I'm pausing for the strangeness of the story. Um, I'm camping under this bridge and I'm, I am a light sleeper and, and someone I realize is walking past me in the middle of the night and I don't move. I, I'm, a, I'm aware of, of them and um, they're, they're clearly aware of me, but don't take notice. And they're unloading these containers above this I-beam and then walks away. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening and it's like, okay, this is quiet. Uh, and then curiosity gets the best of me. So I, I look up in the I-beams and it's these like, this like orange goo in these old tapioca containers. And I was like, Nope, Nope, I'm not, I'm not going to be here for where, when whoever comes pick that up. 
or I, I just at that point I, I did get like a just a, like a no no you don't need to be a part of this. So then I'm biking around. I pick up my stuff. I was tentless. I was just me and my sleeping bag. I'm riding around, feeling good, and uh, looking in neighborhoods for where I could where I could crash and came across a bunch of Nazi graffiti. And that was like, that was, that was a nope. That was a nope. Even as a white person's like, I really don't want to be around here. Yeah. So I kind of head back to town and, uh, God bless a waffle house open 24 hours. Cause it's, it's well past midnight at this point. And I, I come in and, and yeah, so I'm in South Carolina and some, I guess some about seen all the, all the, white white power hate hate graffiti uh is winning there's just like you know it's a, i'm just like the only white person there i'm just like oh my god i feel so safe <laughs> uh and sit down i wind up having coffee with this gentleman who is in there on a construction gig and he i, I tell him my story of how, how i'm there at that moment he's like damn that sucks like yeah he's like well you know I'm I'm just here in a gig. I got a a uh, motel right across the road here. Do you want to just come crash with me? Because <clears throat> I got you know it's a two bedroom. It's like yeah, sure, that sounds great. We left the Waffle House and went to this uh, motel room, and I'm unloading my things. And uh, he actually this is Christmas time, and he he actually turns on the television. And I just want to sleep, and he starts watching porn. I'm like. And I talking talking through it now with people, it's like, oh wow, you were crazy. Why did you stay there? But I think oh. I was just so t- I was so tired. He's like, do you mind if I watch this? I'm like, I sure. I I don't care. I'm just going to sleep in this bed. I'm I'm so tired. I'm barely a person right now. Yeah. <laughs> and he just keeps watching it and just like wants to ask me questions and commentary on 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 the pornography. And I just. I guess I was just so tired or like, I just felt like, you know what, this is really weird, but you're, I, I feel like you're just, you, you bear no threat to me. You're just like this 12 year old adult who wants to make commentary. Um, and, and that is prop. And then, so he just, eventually he fell asleep and I woke up in the morning and got my stuff and, and left. Uh, that was probably in my 10 years, the strangest our odd experience that I've encountered. Yeah. Um, tour cycling really makes you be a good receiver of gifts because people give you things. Um, people I've had strangers just give me money. I n- I'm not asking for it. They just see me. and like, I want to give you this because what you're doing is cool. Uh, you know, like single moms take you in people buy you a hotel room, even when you didn't ask for it, just because they want to contribute to what you're doing. And, um, yeah, we're not we're not always taught to receive with grace. Yeah, so that totally. is something you have to work at. And we live in a kind of ironic, cynical culture where we're not really asked to, you know, feel feel those feelings and we have defenses from strong emotions and experiences in life. So and I and to receive that and then to give it back later to somebody else uh, is, you know, it's the closest thing I have to a to a dogma or religion that yeah. I would practice. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool, man. Um, 
All right, Reed, let's, uh, let's talk about on all these trips that you've now taken across the United States. Uh, like, I love what you said about you can so quickly go in an area from being like a pariah to then the next area being a hero. Uh, what city and what state regards you as being some of like the best place for cyclists, both in terms of the uh, setups of the roads and things like that, but then also just in terms of, of treatment and things. I've always really enjoyed biking around Vermont and that, and even I used to, I used to live there and I would bike there all four seasons. Um, so through the winter and even though the, the infrastructure and roads aren't always there set up for it, I always felt so safe and people would give me, you know, plenty of, plenty of space on the road. The, you know, general idea is give cyclists three feet, uh, when passing and people would always pull over and be like, are you Okay. And one person actually asked me if I was doing this because I had a DUI. I was like, no, I don't, I don't That's even drink. Great. It's fine. But that is a lot of the perception. It's like, well, why is, why is this person doing this? Something must be wrong. That, and, that, and, that, and that can cascade into other stories. But Ver, Vermont uh, has always treated me real, real well. Uh, I love, love biking in Wyoming. Um, Iowa has a pretty strong bike culture i actually have some friends leaving to do ragbri the registered i'm going to butcher the acronym but it's the like the registered annual great bicycle ride across iowa and it's a party on two wheels where you started on the western edge of the state and bike east um and the route changes every year but there's a pretty strong sense of cycling there um washington is also fantastic where i I currently live in seattle and um both in the city and even outside i think there's a i think if there's a understanding that cyclists are on the road then and the road maybe belongs to more than just cars then then it then it goes pretty well um i don't i'm positive i don't want to be too negative but my experiences in in the south the southeast have been um sometimes hostile particularly in florida that's where i have experienced drivers be uh openly hostile to me um but generally generally uh and it can and and those experiences can change from even just different towns and state to state whether i mean i've come i've biked through especially any parts of Idaho, um, certain religious communities uh, will look at you if you're like, "Wow, you're you're wearing some, you're showing a lot of skin, and and it's skin tight, <laughs> um, your clothing." So you know, some people aren't used to seeing that uh, or just seeing a bike at all. But again, I'll, I'll reiterate that uh, most places, it's like, I don't know you, but here's a fist bump. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, <Thanks. laughs> for sure. So, Reed, you mentioned in the email that you sent out that, uh, like, now that you live in Seattle, uh, we'll, we'll get to your work that you're doing there uh, in a little bit, which is awesome, uh, your volunteer work. But, uh, but first, you mentioned that you intentionally do not have a car now, and that's like this this awesome choice that you've made. Uh, we'd love to know what that's like and how that has sort of impacted your life in a. Uh, country and state and city where it's you know pretty much everyone has cars you know to get around 
Um, what are like some of the difficulties that you've had to deal with? And then what are some of the positives that come away from uh, not having a car? So I've owned a car twice in my in post-grad in my 20s. Um, but yeah, most of, most of my adult life has, I've intentionally not wanted to own a car. I have actually lived most, I guess most people would think that, oh, you have a bike, you commute by bike, you must live exclusively in ur- heavily urbanized areas. And that's not true. I, um, post-grad, I was, um, uh, working on a sheep farm and biking 12 miles to work one way. You, you eat more food, you're hungry. Uh, I think we all, this is the kind of a silly statement because yes, food is fuel, but I think there is, there's a different connection with that fuel when, you know, you yourself, you are the vehicle, you are the moving part that gets you from point A to point B. Um, man, I think about that a lot. It's funny you say that. I I feel like we are so far removed from the concept of of food as fuel. It's like food is only really for enjoyment. You know, it's like, when most of the time when I have lunch, it's like either I'm feeling like the littlest bit of hunger or maybe it's just because it's a certain time of day, you know, but if I really like search my body, I'm not really having like any sort of these like deep pangs of hunger or anything, you know, it's like, oh, oh like no. I might as well eat right now. But then, you know, if you're if you're uh, traveling and you go hiking for like eight hours and then you get to eat a sandwich, you're just like, oh, I'm like so grateful for the sandwich right now, you know, and it's it's bizarre how rarely we're in that state of our body where we're like that grateful for the food, you know, or what, like we feel like we need it. Like I need this food right now. So that's every day of my life. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there is, you know, hunger, hunger is the best ingredient when, when, when eating. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Going back to your question of what, how, how this has affected my life or what I, you know, or shaped me perhaps differently is, yeah, I'm, I, I think about food a lot and there is this, um, visceral gratitude of, of eating it. You know, I, I, I feel like at this point I'm pretty well conditioned to a lot of physical, um, discomforts, extreme heat, cold, or even exhaustion or sleep deprivation. But my, my silver, my silver bullet is, is hunger and food. And that is, that is one, that's one area of my life where I, it's even hard for me to mentally, uh, control the beast, you know, um, you, you, you need to eat, you have to eat and, and managing that, especially, um, a lot of my, on top of that, a lot of the work I have done professionally has been farming. So you're I'm moving all the time. Uh, my body is, is my physical body is, is so, so connected to how I get by. And I think that's something is you really kind of have a different understanding of exhaustion and, but also wellness and energy. And I think that, um, is really great. Sometimes it can distance you from certain, from your friends who don't have that level of energy or understanding of the body. Um, and I've, and I, and I've had, I've heard this echoed with a lot of my friends who, who also bike, if not exclusively as their mode of transportation that, you know, 
um, it's like, oh, you know, hanging out with wanting to hang out with friends who are more car motivated, or maybe you just don't want to bike, you know, five miles to something. Um, especially, you know, if you're not, it's one of those things like we, we all grew up riding a bike, but I think riding, commuting, um, especially as an adult is kind of a skill and something that if you're not comfortable doing, uh, is, is kind of isolating in a way. Um, it's, it's funny that you say that. So, uh, like, as you were just saying that, I was just thinking about the fact that my, the gym that I go to is, I think like, uh, and this is like embarrassing now to say out loud, uh, but I'm sure most of the listeners will be on agree, like be nodding their head with this. Like my gym is like a mile and a half away from my house. And I've ridden my bike there one time ever. And I think that's because my car was in the shop. Like, it wasn't like, yeah. oh, I should ride my bike to the gym right now. And I think that's because it's not so much um, the... Uh, obviously, I'm going to the gym, so I'm going to work out and everything. I think it's the the immediacy. So that's, I guess, probably another way in which your life has... Uh, an, uh, you know, something that not having a car has, has affected your life in this way is the the uh like the value of time and how immediate everything needs to be. I think we live in such like an immediate gratification culture and world and everything. Preach. And so like if I'm going to go to the gym, I want to go to the gym now and I want to be at the gym in 3 minutes. I don't want to be at the gym in 8 minutes. Like then that's a 5 minutes wasted that I could have been doing something else, you know? And it's uh, and then if you're talking about going to a friend's house that lives like five miles away, well, maybe riding there is going to take me like, you know, 20 minutes versus driving there is going to take me five. So now I just save 15 minutes and like, but that's not good. So you, like, you brought up a, you brought up a really good you what you just said is, is so telling. Um, and I, I know you're kind of saying it for conversations point, but it's this the idea of like I'm wasting time yeah. and a lot of people will be like, oh, don't don't you like, man, like you know, 16 miles one way, that's like an hour in the saddle. Isn't that, that's two hours. That's so much wasted time. And I think we have part of it. And is that this immediate gratification, uh, culture or this idea, this kind of Western dogma of, you know, a is a, a cannot be B a can never occupy the same space as B. And that logic is, is kind of, it leaves a lot to be desired. And that's yes. one of the things I think tour that's such cycling, a huge problem with it is that if you're always like, Oh, I need more time. I need, I need, I need more time so that I can do this other thing. And then I can do this other thing. And then I can do this other thing for someone like you that, that, that point of like, Oh, well, you know, if you save two hours, like think of what you could do for you. It's like, well, this is what I'm doing with my two hours. Like I am doing this. I'm enjoying the ride. Like I'm, I'm experiencing this thing. And so there's this whole mindset shift of like, this is the thing to be enjoyed. It's not let me get this over with so that I can get to the thing that I'm going to enjoy. I had a really wonderful, really fantastically wonderful conversation. Um, yeah, I mentioned, I mentioned, I think when I was biking in Vermont, that one person actually pulled over and asked me like, do I, have, do you have a DUI? Like, why are you doing this? And, and more of a backdrop, I was biking back at night you know, it's, it's winter time in Vermont, it gets dark at like four. And so I'm biking with my lights and my wool, just doing my thing. And this guy pulls over and gets out and starts talking a mile a minute. Like he's hysterical. Like I see you biking every day, every night. What is, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? Like you have, a, and just like, and yeah, he blurts out eventually like exclamation point, like, do you have a DUI? And I, 
I laughed. <laughs> and I was like, hi, my name is Reed. <laughs> um, interesting question to roll with. But yeah, it, it, it was silly. We had this conversation like in the middle of, of Vermont winter night with snow coming down. It's like, you know, this isn't just my commute. This is my, yeah, sure. It's my commute. It's my exercise. It's my mental health time. I get to be out in the woods. I see animals. I see so many things that you normally would not see in a car. It, it's, it's part of my identity. You know, this is like, you know, some people see that two hours of a commute as a loss. And that for me is, is the best two hours of my day. And especially in, in less populated areas, you know, I see wildlife that you, you know, that I see the kind of wildlife on a daily basis sometimes that people go to national parks to, you know, photograph, you know, voraciously. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Uh, Can I ask you a question? Yes. Just so is there, is there a bike path to your gym? Uh, no, there's not. So that, yeah, which also exactly. And I don't, I didn't, I just, so I don't really, I'm not here to fault anyone, but the idea of, of like, you know, especially as an adult, it's, you know, the safest thing and by the numbers to say the safest thing for cyclists is more cyclists on the road and cyclists, people don't want to be on the road unless they feel safe. Um, and I get it for me. It's like this, you know, special biking is this, is a special focal point in my life, but I don't expect it to be for everyone. I, you know, I, I want it, I want it to be for everyone. I want people to at least have it as a part of their life. But, um, you know, a lot of this country is not set up for people commuting right. by bicycle. Um, and yeah, we can go into that more, but it's just totally like if you, especially, yeah, not everyone wants to, have that narrow little lane or ride on the side next to cars, depending on how fast, you know, those cars are going. I'm, you know, I've been lucky enough to grow up in a town that was walkable and had a very strong pedestrian and bike culture. And so I guess I kind of slowly acclimated to riding in nearly any kind of traffic and feeling comfortable asserting myself, but especially you know, I think about people who have families and, and other things that you have to, other responsibilities to other people is you don't want to, I don't think about, I don't, I don't go out thinking like, well, I'm going to try not to die today, but I am aware that like, okay, I'm, I'm biking next to these, you know, ton and a half bricks of steel that are going really fast. Um, I really like earlier that you used the term about it being like a skill because I don't think most people would consider riding a bike a skill because it's, I mean, pretty much everyone knows knows how to ride a bike, but it's that part of riding in traffic that is certainly like a skill, like you said, because yeah, I mean, I guess if there was like a bike lane in my gym, I would probably be so much more uh, inclined to do it because it'd be like, oh, I know how to ride in a bike lane, but riding just on the side of the road, so many people are unfamiliar with, you know? It's one of those things, again, it's like if you were... And if you're nervous riding on that bike lane or nervous riding on the side of the road where there is no lane and you're like kind of swerving back and forth, you're going to make the drivers nervous. Everyone's going to be nervous and it's just going to be a, a clusterfuck and no one wants to to go through that. And, and that's why no one wants to to bike um, Yeah, in, in certain parts of the city. Like barrier to entry. You know, you see a lot of, uh, a lot of neighborhoods around here have those signs of um, like slow down 20 is plenty. 
um, which I appreciate and, you know, help for, you know, get not even just bikes out there, but, you know, people playing on streets or in roads, you know, they're, um, it's, uh, like looking at like the history of what, what does public space, what do, what do streets and roads belong to? Um, you know, when the, when the car was, when the, when the car first started to, you know, enter the public sphere, there were, there were actually lynchings of, of drivers who would hit kids. It was like, um, cause like roads and streets were like for, for people. Um, and I'm not, as I, as I get into this conversation, I don't want to, I understand, uh, where we are as a country and, and the, you know, if, if, if trucking or driving stops tomorrow, the country starves to death, but, um, let's, let's take this walk for a minute and, you know, go back to, you know, there was a time where there were not cars everywhere in this country. And, and we, we were kind of learning as a nation, how, of what that meant and, and like oh wow you know what does what does the ability to go 30 miles an hour mean you know um like in terms of fatality rates uh uh, uh and i'm talking about a car hitting a bicycle right now um at 20 miles an hour the fatality rate is five percent at 30 miles an hour it jumps to about 45 percent wow and then at 40 miles an hour it jumps to 85%. Um, so yeah, people, people were dying. Uh, and, and, and there, there were lynchings and driving drivers and cars in general were actually, uh, had, were in a PR crisis. And, um, that this is actually kind of where the term jaywalker comes from of they, car companies actually went so far as to employ agencies like the boy scouts to pass out uh, pamphlets about, about what a jaywalker is a J being, um, a J this is kind of the rise of urbanization in the country. And a J was someone from the a country bumpkin, someone from the city, from the country who did not understand the sophisticated ways of the city. And a J would be someone who as a jaywalking describe, as we all know, like you take the hypotenuse across like an intersection, you take the straight line instead of going, taking the L L L curve from like one block to the other, like, and, and that whole campaign was kind of to make roads and streets, um, revolve more around the paradigm of the automobile. Interesting. That's very interesting. I, I'm always surprised when I meet someone that is as into cycling as you are, that you don't just like up and move to the Netherlands or something. Like I had a gentleman on the show who is an architect in the Netherlands who uh, did does architecture in the town of Groningen, which I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you're familiar with, but it's like I'm the unaware. most cycling friendly city in the entire world, like even much more so than Amsterdam, which have you ever been to Amsterdam? I have not been across the pond. Uh, I've been to you you'd flip out if you got to go to like you know everyone's just on bikes there and i guess groningen is like amsterdam like on steroids he, like he was saying that i think in downtown like uh 70% of the traffic is bicycles and like most of the roads aren't even allowed for cars so it's like 
the way if you go to a downtown area in a major city in the U.S. where a lot of roads become one way, you know, so it's like every other street is going north and every other street is going south. The way that they did it in Groningen is it's like every other street is bikes only and every other street is like cars only, you know. Um, and because of that, basically everyone just rides. And then he talked about how amazing it is of just like the he's like, you don't appreciate like how quiet like a downtown area could be if everyone's just on bikes. You know, like you're sitting at a cafe and it's just really quiet, like outside the cafe, you know, it also saves the city a lot of money. You know, we don't think about and I'm sure I'd love to visit, visit there and, and ride. But like, you know, the I I. I live, I live here and I want, I want, I want where I live to be like that. You yeah, know? totally. Um, yeah, you know, there it is, I guess we just, I, I bring up the his, history, um, the history lesson like that, just kind of, you know, illuminate that things, particularly our infrastructure and how we design the world around us doesn't happen by accident. And, you know, we, we choose, uh, what we want our streets or, you know, public spaces to look like. Um, uh, yeah. And, you know, it's living in Seattle, like that juxtaposition of how you, what you just described, um, what's the town Groningen? Yeah. Groningen. Um, I mean, we're, we're saying it, I'm saying it really poor. You're just saying, trying to say it. I'm I'm saying it really poorly. So try uh, not to butcher it. Uh, (laughs) but so going back to, you know, when we first started talking and, you know, I was talking about how. I get it if you live when I first started biking, you know, in, in rural areas and, you know, having like a 16 mile one way commute, like I get it. That's that, that's commitment. You are doing that. You are doing this for reasons beyond just um, trying to get to point A to point B, but like moving to a city like Seattle, that is growing so fast and I'm on my bike, just doing my thing, learning, learning how the city works. And it's like, man, I don't, I don't see how, I, how you don't ride a bike here. Like traffic, traffic is insane. Um, and we do have a good bus system here, but the Seattle, like Seattle is kind of the, um, an exception because it's growing so fast. But as this country and the world continues to urbanize and people are moving to denser and denser spots, um, cars and and other motorized forms of transportation, particularly when in motion, require much more space. Um, so it gets congested real quick. And the wear on the road that a bike makes is negligible to what a car does. So roads are rapidly deteriorating and that the gas tax does not compensate for maintaining our infrastructure. So there's this, there's all these things that play of like, you know, we don't always design for it, but you know, at least from my vantage point on two wheels, it's like, man, come on, let's just, let's just embrace the two wheels and have fun. Yeah, for sure. It's a shame that more, it's not happening faster and that more places aren't, um, trying to sort of, I shouldn't say retrofit. It's like the opposite. It's like refit cities to start, um, uh, making them more bike friendly what like i was asking earlier about the places that you went that are good bike wise what out of everywhere that you've been what is the most just uh bike paths like number of bikers like bike friendly city you've been to in the in the u.s well actually i was gonna say montreal in canada oh, has, yeah. 
they have actual concrete dividers between the lane for cars and the bike path, which I thought was rather sweet. Portland, Portland, Oregon is pretty, pretty good for that. And, and there, I think, renowned, somewhat illustrious nationally. Uh, I've heard, I have not been, but I have actually read great things about the Twin Cities. Uh, the surrounding areas of Nashville, Tennessee, really, really took me by surprise. They have, they have, it was biking, most, most of the time, biking into a city or urbanized area is, is like the worst part of a trip because you're just navigating through this, this cluster of mismanaged suburban sprawl. But biking into Nashville, you know, first off, it's the music city. So like all the bike paths have like little music signs on it and it's like piano keys and they're, they're beautiful, really well-maintained. You go over these bridges and then you go over this big bridge into Nashville and there's music playing and everyone's happy. And like, there's this huge bridge just for people. So everyone's smiling and relaxed. And, uh, we actually were lucky enough to get a warm showers host with this couple. Both of them were lawyers and one of them worked for the city and her job was to, uh, look at and acquire public land for, or private land for development of more bike infrastructure. And again, like you see it, like when you're in those spaces where, where like it's, plotting out certain areas for non-motorized transport transit like like go to a park and like or 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 your bike path and like most people are happy and at at ease um and i've definitely have felt and talked about with friends who have when when you are touring on a road you kind of like your shoulders are up a little bit like you are always aware of of danger but then as soon as you you don't always it's sometimes subconscious, but like as soon as you get on a path or when you know you are out of a line of, of, of traffic, like you just ease up and you can ride faster and it's easier and it's pleasant. Um, and it creates these interactions. Like when I just remember going across that bridge into Nashville and, you know, again, people are smiling and you like, you look at them, like you make eye contact and you wave and it, uh, it, it just, it's just this little kind of by design can foster like a, better quality of life yeah that's really cool that's really cool man um all right reed let's go ahead and start to wind this thing down talking about your work at the bikery and the place that you volunteer at in seattle so first uh yeah. tell everyone what the bikery is because it's just such an awesome concept it is such an awesome concept the bikery is a, a community space it's a nonprofit volunteer run bike shop where we teach people how to work and maintain on their bicycles and we also get donated parts and we resell bikes uh, below market costs um trying to get everyone a bicycle our so our, our motto is fix it ride it teach others um so we work really hard to be an inclusive space and we work to you know we don't do the work for you like the at at best, you know, the wrench is not in my hand. The wrench is in the hand of the person who came in to to learn, and we help foster and articulate how to how to learn about biking and in your own machine. And um, and oftentimes, sometimes you know, people come in who know more than I do, and I learn I learn from them. And it's it's great. It's been uh, I'll say it's the best thing to happen to me since moving to Seattle. 
So something that was really cool that you mentioned is the sort of different types of people that you get in there that end up therefore getting to talk to each other and sort of cross pollinate while they are there. Um, which it's funny the direction that this whole interview went in with, with you telling stories about the different people that you got to meet on your trips and opening up perspectives and things like that. And it's like, it seems like you get to help make that happen for people at this shop. Yeah. Especially in a city that I feel is becoming more and more segregated around wealth. It's, we serve a, a lot of people um, who are experiencing housing insecurities or are homeless or have been homeless um, who come there to work on their bikes because we will sell bikes uh, greatly at greatly discounted prices or parts. But then at the same time, there are you know, folks who just want to be bike nerds and wrench together. So uh, on more than one occasion, often even there, can, especially in the summertime, we'll have six stands. Um, with people working in some of them are Amazon employees and some of them may or may not be sleeping outside. And I think that's, and, and we're all talking and generally getting along. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like I said, it's we're a safe space, you know, no hate zone. So anyone can be there of any, any body type, you know, race, creed, gender, non-gender, whatever. Um, and, and yeah, I think I think that is special in and of itself, and that is kind of a marvelous victory. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, let's try to uh, to finish this thing up by giving some advice and helping helping people out here. So, first of all, from your work at the bikery, what do you see as like the most common repair needs, and how can people repair these things themselves uh, if if people let's say they don't ride very often and they'd like to get back into riding a bike, but that's something they're a little afraid of is like, Oh, well, how would I fix this part of my bike? What would I do here? What do you, what do you see a lot and how do you fix it? This is one of these, uh, it's one of these, uh, antidotes where, um, uh, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Just real simple. You know, I get a lot of like, I left this thing outside for six months. It's like, Oh Jesus, (laughs) no. (laughs) Why did you do that? Uh, Keeping your bike clean, uh, keeping keeping air in the tires, that really can make a world of difference. Um, a lot of flats can happen from from just underinflated tires. Uh, and then keeping your chain clean, general, just general um, lubing of the chain routinely, especially in a city that where it rains and it's wet often, um, can make a world of difference. Other than that, it's really just, you know, you can do a lot of maintenance yourself with just some Allen keys, some hex, some hex wrenches, just making sure things are tight or loose to their proper, their proper fitting. You know, beyond that, we get a lot of, you know, brake adjustments or swapping of brake pads as you wear them down. Seattle is uh, a hilly city. Um, it used to be hillier, actually, and then I'm still learning the history of the Northwest. but. It actually, Seattle used to be far steeper, and then they shot water cannons and regraded a lot of the town. Um, it's fascinating. That's so crazy. But it is. It is. It in my mind, literally crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right, Reed. Let's finish up with advice that you would give to people that, after hearing this, would like to give a go at tour cycling. What would be like the top one or two pieces of advice that you would give to them? Do it. 
do it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. I mean, truly though, it's like, there's, uh, a lot, of, uh, like, so, like so much of life. It's like, when am I ready? It's like, well, maybe you're not ready. You just got to do it. You're, you're ready when you're ready to do it. And, um, I think especially the first trip, like go, go with a friend, find a friend to do it. Um, everything's always better with a buddy. I've, I've done several tours by myself and, and they're great in their own way, but having, especially that first time having memories to reflect back on and especially, uh, acclimating back to normal life afterwards, it was kind of invaluable for me to have people to talk to. Yeah, for sure. About it. Um, but yeah, same thing. Um, you can really do it on any bike you want as, as long as you're comfortable. Good, good, good tires. Uh, I would advise maybe a, a rack to put things to put. However, you can take, you're going to carry your belongings there. Uh, I would advise to get it off your back. Back. I, I have toured or done some longer day trips with like a camelback on my back just to try it out. And there's, you know, I think that, that will wear on you after a while. It's really nice to have. The only thing I want on my back is a t-shirt. If that. If that, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sunscreen. Sunscreen is great. Sunscreen and water, you, especially getting into it, you don't realize how much energy you burn just being outdoors all day. Yeah, man. All good advice. Uh, Reed, this has been so awesome, dude. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I've, I've had a blast. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes. Click on it. Click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.